0: This episode of Full Armor Radio is brought to you by CR101 Radio Network. CR101 Radio Network is a Christian reconstruction internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24-7. We're also brought to you by GCS Apprenticeship Program, which is dedicated to training the next generation of Christian teachers so they can own and operate successful and profitable Christian schools. You can learn more at cr101radio.com and gcsapprenticeship.com. And now to the show. four major views of Genesis chapter one. Maybe you didn't know that, but it's something really important for us to understand. And then also to be able to give a, a response to the incorrect interpretations of Genesis chapter one. So like I said, there are four different interpretations, major interpretations, and they um, cannot all be true at the same time because they contradict one another. And you know, the law of non-contradiction, one of the basic laws of logic, is that two contradictory things cannot be true at the same time and in the same sense. So we have four different views here. They're not compatible with one another. And um, I want to, to show which three are wrong and which, which one's right, right? So that's what we're going to talk about. Before I get into that, I just want to give a little overview of why this is important. Um, Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11 are foundational chapters to the whole Bible in the doctrine that they reveal. I mean, even more than that, the whole book of Genesis reveals basic and foundational doctrine to the rest of the Bible. You, you We will find when you're reading you know, the rest of the Bible that it's it's constantly referring back to what we find in Genesis. Um, the New Testament is constantly referring back to Genesis. Jesus refers back to Genesis. you know Paul refers back to Genesis. Peter refers back to Genesis. Genesis is foundational, right? In Genesis we have that God created everything, that He made man and woman, that He made them upright, that they fell into sin that sin brings death, we learn that God promised a Messiah after that to to save people. We had there in the garden the covenant of works, which was Adam, obey me and you will live, disobey me and you will die. You have in Genesis 3.15, God promising the Messiah, which is the covenant of grace, which is I give you life as a free gift, not by works, but by grace. So therefore we have original sin by the fall of Adam. Um, we have, you know, the global flood, we have God's judgments, we have the origin of human language, we have in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, we have these uh, justification by, by faith alone, um, about Abraham and God's promise there. There are many, many foundational things in Genesis, um, that are very, very important theologically and very important for us to understand. But today I wanted to get down to chapter one and talk about the age of the earth, talk about what is Genesis chapter one really talking about? How long are the days of Genesis chapter one? So when I was in high school, um, my senior year of high school, um, we had to write a senior thesis, a big old paper on some some topic. And this is what I decided to write my paper on. I wrote it on uh, old earth creationism versus young earth creationism. Um, so basically, like I said before, there are four views of Genesis one. And one of those views is young earth. Three of those views are old earth creationism, okay? So I'm coming from the perspective of young earth creationism. I'm going to be de- defending the, the position that um, the days in Genesis chapter one were normal 24 hour days, okay? That's what we're gonna be looking at today. But I wanna, I wanna go through and explain briefly, give a brief overview of the various views of of genesis chapter one and then talk about why there are problems with it so let me read the creation narrative genesis chapter one it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters and god said let there be light and there was light and god saw that the light was good And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God sent them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. Which with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, "Be fruitful and multiply, the waters in the sea, and let birds multiply on the earth." And there was evening and morning, the fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So that is Genesis chapter 1. So, why are there so many different views of this chapter, particularly what the days are in Genesis chapter 1? Well, ultimately, these views didn't come about until the 1800s, okay? The, um, the old Earth creationist views were, were essentially unheard of before the 1800s, meaning that people, Christians before that time, did not believe that these days were anything other than 24 hours, okay, in terms of being longer or anything like that. Um, the reason that these views came around is because of, of secular evolutionary thinking. Think about that when Darwin and others started to propagate um, evolutionary ideas, evolution needs deep time in order for it to, to have any sort of, you know, um, like any sort of believability for people. Basically, for them, a long period of time equals magic. A long period of time equals vast changes of kinds, from one kind of an animal to another kind of an animal. So from a reptilian kind to a bird kind, right? They say, in their worldview, that that can happen, but only over long periods of time, millions of years, right? Since we've never seen one kind of animal change into another kind of animal, they say, well, that's because we haven't been around long enough. We haven't been documenting long enough. It takes millions of years for a dinosaur to become a bird, for example. That's that's just one example of what they would argue. So, because you need deep time for um, for evolution to even have any sort of uh, believability for people, um, people started, you know, talking about the Earth being millions of years old, right? So that was something that was going on in non-Christian worldviews and um, non-Christian viewpoints of the age of the earth. So what happened was that some Christians um, said, oh man, we need to follow after the world. We need to follow after the world's ideas and worldviews. So we need to somehow try to fit millions of years into Genesis chapter one. That's the place to do it. So ultimately, this was an attempt to syncretize a biblical worldview with a non-biblical worldview. Um, just a note on the age of the earth, the, the age of the earth or the origins of the earth, when was the earth created or when did it start? Um, ultimately, that, that is a historical question. And that's, that's a question of what happened in the past. It's a historical question. It's not primarily a scientific question because science deals with uh, observation, things you can observe Um, repeatable tests things like that we can do chemistry in a lab all day long and repeat tests and all that but we can't go back in time and do a scientific observation of what happened in the past that's more of a history question right but this is a unique history question because it's talking about what happened before human beings were because all of us agree that the earth was created before human beings, right? So how do we know if man wasn't there to document it? How do we know what happened? How do we know about the history of the beginning of the world? And the answer from a Christian worldview is very simple. You have God who of course created the world, gave us revelation. That means he revealed to us what happened. He revealed to Moses what happened and Moses wrote that down here in Genesis. So what we have from a Christian worldview is how do we know what happened? We know what happened because god has said okay our knowledge christian knowledge how do christians know things how do they have knowledge our view of epistemology which is our theory of knowledge is revelational meaning that god reveals knowledge to us through scripture that's how we can have a foundation for knowledge itself is because god has revealed that in his word this relates to apologetics and other things so christians though you know, not being atheist, they would say, well, yes, we agree that the Bible is God's word, and we agree that God created things, everything, but we don't agree, they would say, on how long he took to do it. Okay, how long did God take to create the world? Did he take millions of years, or did he take six 24-hour days? So, if he took millions of years, well, then the Christian could say, well, that means that he could have, you know, there could be evolution involved or it, it, it's compatible with, they would say the Bible, therefore, is compatible with secular um, geological views on the age of the earth, which is the predominantly today is millions of years. That's how people, uh, how old people think the, the earth is. So there's so the Christians are saying, well, we can we can have a seat at that table and say, well, the Bible also would say that the earth is millions of years old. We just say that God started it. So some old Earth creationists would be what's called theistic evolutionists, meaning they believe that God used evolution, Darwinian evolution, to bring about what we have today. And some old Earth creationists would not be evolutionists. They would say that that God created everything, you know, in these different time periods, um, but He created them and they've stayed in their own kind. They haven't changed from one kind to another kind. So let's let's talk about the views. So, the old earth creationist views, there are three major views. First one I'll talk about is the gap theory. The gap theory is this, that there is a major gap of time between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2. So here's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop. They would say, giant gap. Then t- verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So they say, well, verse 1 says God created the heavens and the earth, and then verse 2 says the earth was without form and void. So they would say, there must be this gap in there of millions of years wherein that first heaven and earth, the first um, there in verse 1, was destroyed in some way. Um, some people even say this is when Satan was cast to earth, and when he was cast to earth, sometimes they call it Satan's flood, but he destroyed, his casting down with a third of the angels destroyed the earth, so that that it became, as verse 2 says, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So that's theory number one. How can we fit millions of years into Genesis 1? Well, just insert it in between two verses, make a gap in between verses. So when it comes to Bible interpretation, there are two words we need to know. There's exegesis and there's eisegesis. Exegesis, ex, meaning out of, exegesis is good. It's when you're looking at the text and you're pulling out of the text what the text says. Okay, That's what we're supposed to do. What did God say? Let me pull out of it what he said without manipulating it or changing it or adding to it. Right. Eisegesis, on the other hand, is when we insert our preconceived notions into a text. And honestly, the gap theory is probably the best example of eisegesis that there is. Literally, let's insert let's insert ideas in between verses where there is no such idea. Okay? listen to the verses again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Okay? There is absolutely no reason to assume that there needs to be a gap between verse one and verse two, a gap of a million years. It's talking about he created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's the introduction to this chapter and he's talking about the earth that he created before it was filled with everything it was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have this this earth but it's in its its basic form right now He hasn't even created light yet okay so there's this basic thing that's calling it's called earth here but it's going to be filled out over the next few verses, the rest of this chapter, filling out with all the things that are on the earth. But isegesis is, again, inserting your own ideas into the text. That's exactly what the gap theory is. And eisegesis is bad because it is not what the text says. It's what the text doesn't say. So the text doesn't say that there's a big gap, but people insert it into the text. Okay, That is unfaithful to the text because the text doesn't say that. Okay? So that's pretty basic. Again, I can't go over in, in huge detail everything about all these things. That's the overview of it. Ultimately, you have a gap between verse 1 and verse 2, and that's where they're going to fit millions and millions of years so that they can maintain, you know, a non- basically the the age of the earth that secularists hold to, which is millions of years. Christians or people who would say we can we can try to make Genesis 1 compatible with that. But ultimately, the gap theory fails to do that because it doesn't doesn't actually say that in the text they're just eisegetically inserting their own biases into it and that is a no-no when it comes to interpretation and that is not what uh, what it says all right number two the, the second old earth creationist theory is what's called the day age theory day age theory and as the name implies what this theory postulates is that each day in genesis 1 is actually an age or a long period of time so when it says you know there's a first day, second day, third day, fourth day, etc. They're saying when it says day, it doesn't mean 24-hour day. It means you know millions of years instead of day. Here's where they get this: the Hebrew word for day is yom, yom, and the word yom has multiple usages in in the Old Testament. It can mean a 24-hour day. It can mean day as opposed to night. So you have the day portions of a day and you have the night portions of a day as we would say it you know the light when when it's light outside that's the day when it's dark outside that's the night so day can refer to the light portion of a day it can refer for 24 hours and it can refer to long periods of time it can refer to you know the day of you know as, as we would use it in my grandpappy's day you know we'd use it like that not in the sense of one day of his life, but in his time period, in his, when he was young or whatever. Um, it can be used prophetically, like the day of the Lord, um, which refers to oftentimes God's judgment. So it has multiple usages. And something we need to understand about um, words and their meanings is that words have... Um, we could, This is a little bit hyperbolic, but words don't have meanings. They have usages. Okay? So, of course... Words do have meanings. But the thing is, is that words have multiple definitions because they have multiple usages. So in English, for example, when I say the word trunk, that has multiple usages that are vastly different. When you think of trunk, maybe you think of the trunk of a tree, right? But maybe you think of the trunk of your car. Those are pretty different. Maybe you think of a trunk as in a chest in in your, at the foot of your bed or something. Or maybe you think of an elephant's trunk. See, all those are, are pretty different things, but yet they're all the same word, right? They just have very different usages, very different meanings based upon the context. So just like just like that, in, in Genesis 1, we have the word day. And the word day, again, in Hebrew in the Old Testament, is used in various ways. So they're saying, well, look, since it's used in various ways, it could mean here, a long period of time, because sometimes when day is used, it means a long period of time. The problem with it is that the way we can determine what the word means in certain places is the context. How do we know how the word is being used? We look at the context, right? So let's look at the context of how it's used in each of this. For day one, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Okay, about day two? And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay, so we have this thing. Verse 13, there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 19, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. about day five? There was evening and there was morning the fifth day in verse 23. There was evening and morning the sixth day. is the final verse of Genesis 1. So what does the context tell us when it says, evening and morning there was the number day. Evening and morning there was the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. What does the context tell us? Well, the evening, of course, begins the night portion of the day, and the morning begins the light portion of the day. Okay, so what do we have here? Clearly, a regular, full, 24-hour day. That's what the context indicates, right? And that's why Genesis 1 is a grand example example of yom, the word meaning day, of, of, of its usage of being a 24-hour day. Because the context is so clear to say that it's evening and morning, the first day. That day is a 24-hour full day. It is not something that is entirely different. Okay? So, the day-age theory falls apart... Because the usage of day in this chapter is clearly, based on the context, 24 hour days. Okay? Even when, and then when it's used in this context in Genesis 1, where it says God called the light day and the darkness he called night, when he says he called the light day, that's the light portion of a day, and the darkness he called night, and then there was evening and morning the first day, that that use of day there is a full day when it's used before the light portion called day, that's the light portion of a day. So you can see how it's used in different contexts here, but we see very clearly that it's talking about a full 24-hour day. Now, some people argue, day-age theorists will say, well, look, we don't even have the sun until the fourth day. So these are what we might call, you know, half day-agers, in that they would say, well, days four, five, and six were regular days, but days one, two, and three, because there was no sun, there couldn't not be a regular day because a, a day is determined by the rotation of the earth, um, and uh, we need we need the sun in order to for that to be possible. Well, there's a pro- there's two problems with that. Um, one, we already have light. Okay, right in the beginning, verse three, and God said, "Let there be light," and there was light, and then we already have day and night. Right there on day one as well. God called the light day and the darkness He called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. So we already have light, but the light source isn't the sun, okay? Because there is no sun, but we have light. So all we need for for you know there to be day and night, you have a light a light shining on the earth and the rotation, right? And as it rotates, you know, it gets darker and lighter, you know, evening and morning and all that. As we see every day, we get you know evening and morning every day. So um, there's that problem, is that there's already light source, therefore there's already and there's already day and night, so therefore we can have regular days. And two, grammatically. Notice how there's exactly zero difference between the, the way that's phrased in verses one or in uh, days one, two, and three, versus days four, five, and six. It says there's evening and morning the first day, and it says there's evening and morning the fifth day and the sixth day. They're exactly the same. And there's nothing in the context... That would indicate that there's somehow a different meaning when it comes to the first three days versus the last three days of creation so it doesn't that doesn't hold up either to scrutiny it doesn't really uh make sense contextually um you don't need the sun in order to define a day um god can define a day here um himself but like i said even even as we define a day with with the rotation of the earth you already have light in genesis in day one and you have day and night in in day one so therefore you can have uh days it's just that the light source wasn't the sun um uh, not a huge deal so the day age theory and uh, that's that's issues with that again a brief overview there's much more detail we could go into on these things finally there's the uh the framework hypothesis or uh, basically a poetic view of of genesis one Essentially this view and there's there's multiple nuances with people I've seen you hold this view. But basically you have you have Genesis one, which is just it, it they would say it, it communicates truth, but it's not it's not to be taken literally. It's not to be taken historically. Um, that's how they would argue. They'd say, well, yes, God created all these things, but this is a this is poetic. this is poetry. That's not telling us in what order he created things or that he created things in six days. It's just telling us that he created these things. Okay? So they would say that, well, Genesis 1, chapter 1, is poetry, and Genesis chapter 2 through 50 is historical narrative. Now, I would say it's pretty arbitrary to, to assume a shift in genre like that. I don't think there's really any good indicator that this is poetry and not to be taken literally when you have this, this flow between Genesis 1 and 2. Here's one of the arguments that I've heard for why we must take it Genesis 1 as poetry. In Genesis 2, verse 5, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, And no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God or Yahweh God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust and from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So we're kind of going back and getting the details of what happened um, when God created man. So Genesis 1 gives us the full picture of what he created. Genesis 2 gives us more detail, the creation of, of man and the creation of, of woman. And then, of course, the fall in chapter 3. But the argument is, it says, look, no bush of the field was yet in the land um, or on the earth. And no p- small plant of the field had yet sprung up because there was no rain and no man yet to work. But they say, but look, in Genesis 1... It says on day three, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And, God, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. So they're saying, look, Genesis 2 says, there was no plants before man. And Genesis 1 says that there were plants before man. Therefore, Genesis 1 can't be giving us historical narrative. It can just be telling us what God created um, and just doing it in a poetic way in this whole like six days motif that it's doing. But if you read, if, if you if you come to this text again with reading it with plain language, what, is, what does it mean? Evening and morning, the first day, all these things, and, and taking the whole book as a historical narrative, is there a, a simpler explanation than consigning Genesis 1 to complete poetry. Of course there is. Basically it's like this. When God created all of the things he created in Genesis one on their various days, he created them with the appearance of maturity. Okay? So when he created trees, say he creates an oak tree, he doesn't create an acorn. Okay? He creates a full blown oak tree. When God make it simpler, when God created Adam, adam was not a little embryo okay he wasn't a baby he was a man okay but yet he was only a day old but he was a man see everything that was created was created with an appearance of maturity and these things were created so that they could reproduce right so you have that that age age old question which came first the chicken or the egg well the chicken biblically the chicken came first because god created everything with the appearance of maturity meaning it was mature uh even though it wasn't old i should say it that way the things he created were mature they were they were physically mature they just didn't grow up they were made instantaneously mature so when a chicken was was made it wasn't an egg it was a chicken but it was made with the capability of laying eggs and reproducing just like adam and eve were made as man and woman but were able to to have babies so when it comes to plants likewise they have seed they produce seeds and therefore reproduce that way when god created plants they were full full grown plants but see nothing else nothing what genesis 2 is saying is that nothing had yet reproduced um, after that initial making remember so on day three they were made but nobody was there to to plant new new plants and all this stuff yet until day six when male and female were created when adam and eve were made so it's it's not a it's not a contradiction or some inconsistency it's just saying that no no plant had had yet reproduced and grown up in the normal way that we see it everything was made instantaneously um but nothing had yet come up because there was nobody to work the ground and there was no rain to to water the seeds yet okay um so you needed so adam and eve are going to come be made and 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 work the work the garden and uh plant things and watch it grow and all that and do their labor they're just saying that there was nobody to do the labor yet so that so that the plants uh reproducing um they hadn't reproduced yet is all it's saying again if you were just to take a simple reading of this and try to um reconcile so to speak not reconcile but just see how these texts work together it's not it's not overly complicated if you were to go and, and read any decent commentary again you know, before these views came into play, pretty much every commentary who takes up that question of how do we see these things, they're going to say exactly what I said. They're going to say, well, nothing had reproduced yet because everything was made mature, but uh, but that, and that in no way contradicts, you know, the the order of creation that's given in Genesis chapter one. So Genesis one and two. Both taken as historical narrative and not as poetry, work together fine. There's no contradiction. There's no inconsistency there, um, and uh, therefore, there's really no reason to believe that Genesis one is poetic um, in the sense that it's not. It's not providing any literal history here. The whole book of Genesis is historical narrative. That doesn't mean that there's not um, historical accounts of people speaking poetry. But the, the, the content itself, the narrative content itself, is, is relaying history to us. And that's exactly how um, the New Testament um, understands it. Jesus, for example, and the apostles quote Genesis as history and not as, as poetic fiction or anything like that. <laughs> so those are the three views. Again, a brief overview, a lot of details. I don't want anybody to think that this is the end-all be-all for, for, these, for this issue. But those are the brief overviews. Then there's the, the young earth position, which would be mine, which is that, as you probably can see already, the the days in Genesis 1 are 24-hour days. So it was six regular 24-hour days, evening and morning each of those days. And then the seventh day, God rested that 24-hour period. So it was a normal uh, normal week Um and you just take it as plain historical narrative the way the genesis one read that's the, again that's the way that people have understood genesis one um forever until the 1800s let me give it let me give some further some further issues here why is it that old earth creationists believe that we need to insert millions of years into genesis one basically because again because of Secular geological theories, um, heavily based upon the fossil record. Okay, they say, well, look, and they have these these views that they say they date these uh, fossils as really, really, really old. And some of these fossils, of course, are fossils of dead animals. Okay, so you have you have fossils of dead animals. You have fossils of animals with brain cancer, and fossils of animals eating one another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera yeah fossils of dead things is what i'm trying to get at that's a problem theologically because what that's saying is that in this time period in this these 6 days they would say in these millions of years in their view of chapter 1 you have millions of years of death at the least death of animals potentially the death of human beings but most most people would say the death of animals right there's a problem there theologically because what brought about death? It was sin, right? Sin, um, which was, of course, done by Adam. But see, Adam wouldn't sin until after Genesis 1, until after this, in their view, very long period of time. So he had all this death before sin. That's a problem theologically because the wages of sin is death with the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, the enemy of God is death. We're told in Genesis or in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, the last enemy that God will destroy is death, right? Death is an enemy of God. It's a thing that came about because of sin. It's not something that God created. But see, if death is not a result of sin, then death is something that God created here in his very good creation. See God says all this is very good and if there's millions of years of death going on here, that's God saying death is very good, but death isn't very good. And God is not a friend of death. He's an enemy of death, and he will destroy death. Death will be thrown into the lake of fire, right? Um, death will be destroyed. Death will be totally conquered um, in the end. Jesus, um, you know, redeems us out of out of death by his, by his life, and we get eternal life. And, and the second death, which is hell, will not touch us. All this stuff relates. And they say, somebody might respond and say, well, sin only causes human death, but not um, not animal death. The thing is, sin sin caused the whole world um, to be under the curse. Someone says in Genesis 3, he says, um, cursed is the ground because of you. This is talking to Adam, God talking to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all of it, Eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall produce bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, thorns and thistles, all these all these things that make things hard, they were a result of, of Adam's sin and the curse that was brought on him um, because of it. Right? Death of animals. The whole creation, we're told, in Romans chapter 8 is groaning until um Jesus makes all things new, right? The whole creation is is it says for the creation it says for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing it, not willingly but because of him who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. This is from Romans 8, uh, 19 and following. So the whole creation is is waiting to be to be redeemed, to be set free from its bondage to corruption. Because of sin, right? That's what came, in, came into being. God does not delight in the death. Uh, of humans, nor the death of of animals um, in and of themselves. Death is not something that God created um, in his very good creation. It's a result of the curse uh, of sin. But all the old earth creationist positions have to have death before the fall, which theologically is is very, very damaging, as it makes God the the creator of death and calling death good. Um, And it affects um, all those issues um, related to that. And one more thing I want to talk about, too, don't want to go too long on this one, as this is just an overview. But one thing we need to consider is how, how would the people who read Genesis first have understood Moses when he wrote Genesis 1? How would they have understood the days that he wrote there? Well, we have something interesting. In, uh, in the Ten Commandments, right, Exodus 20, we have this. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it ye shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So they were told, work six days, rest the seventh day. Why? Because God created in six days and rested the seventh day. There's a, there's a perfect parallel between these things. That's why it's brought up in the commandment. So when they when they heard, you shall work six days, did they think work for six long epochs of time adding up to millions of years and then rest for a long e- epoch of time adding up to millions of years? No. They understood And as was the practice to work six days, 24 hour days and rest for one 24 hour day, just as God created in six days and rested on one day. They would understand these as regular days without a doubt, without a doubt. And that's exactly what God is communicating here. So ultimately, what's the foundational issue here? Is God able to communicate clearly? human beings. This issue comes down to the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture and what's called the perspicuity of Scripture. That is the the general clarity of Scripture. Scripture is able to be understood. God is able to communicate with human language to us, right? Jesus expects us to be able to understand the Bible. He said over and over again, have you not read? Have you not read what it's written? Referring to the Scripture. This is Really basic stuff, but vitally important. Do we believe that this is the word of God? And do we believe that God is able to communicate message ideas to us through human language? So that's, ne- that's absolutely necessary. In Genesis 1, is God trying to trick us? When he says evening and morning, the first day, but he really means is not normal evening, not normal morning um, there at all. No, it's very clear. When he, said, when he has in Exodus 20, the fourth commandment, it's very clear what he's saying. It's not difficult. Um, like I said, why, why do these views come into play? It's not because of exegesis. Nobody's ever, No one's ever understood these to be long periods of time apart from trying to syncretize or to, to get together with um, non-Christian, anti-Christian worldviews on the age of the earth. It's very basic. It's evening and morning. The first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. It's the the fourth commandment. God worked six days, rested one. You work six days, rest one. They're regular days. It's a normal week. It's actually the basis for our weeks. You ever think of that? Our um at, from from looking at the stars and stuff, we have you know years. Um, we have you know a revolution around the sun. We have months because of the moon, and doing those things. Um, days is a rotation of the Earth, but weeks, well, weeks are something that comes down from God's example. He worked six days, rested one. That's why that's why we have weeks. Weeks exist because God um, made made it up. He example, he was the example of a week for us, and therefore that's how we function. Seven days. It's not because of things in the in the stars or things in the heavens or revolutions or um rotations of anything. it is the way that God has exampled it for us, okay? We have that week, this regular seven day week because of Genesis 1 because of what's said in the fourth commandment because you shall work six days and rest one because God says I created in six days and rested one. It's not hard. it's not it's not as though this is a tricky thing. it's actually very easy to understand. The real issue is, will we rest on the authority of god's word or will we try to fit in with unbelievers Um, and ultimately there's no they're they are wrong they have no way of knowing these things um, because again it's a historical question um and it's a historical religious question ultimately because man wasn't there to document it himself it has to be revealed to us by someone who was there and the only only person that was there was was God, and um, that's that's ultimately how we know. It's revelation. We have to own as Christians that our epistemology, our, our how we know things, is because God has revealed them. Okay, that's how we know things. That's not to say we can't learn things through um, empirical observation and things like that. But um, the only way we can actually make sense of the world when it comes to why science works, why there's a uniformity to nature, why the laws of nature will continue to function in the future the way they have in the past, we only can do that because God has revealed to us that they will. Um, They will do that. They will continue to function in a law-like manner. So anyway, again, Genesis 1, what are the days? They are regular 24-hour days. There are, there are four major views, three old earth, one young earth. The gap theory, the day-age theory, and the framework hypothesis ultimately fail the, the test of, of good exegesis, ultimately fail um, logically and theologically. But the young earth creationist view, which is simply a taking Genesis 1 that has as historical narrative and reading it in plain language and looking at the context of, of what day means there and how it's being used, and understanding that day means 24-hour day. There was evening and there was morning each day. So I hope that was helpful. Um, thanks, thanks so much for watching or for listening. Um, if you have any you know, questions, feel free to, to shoot us an email here. Um, and um, with that, I'll go ahead and sign off. So have a good day. Thank you so much for watching, and God bless.